Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult Series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME-CE credit. Megan, a 23-year-old, presents for an urgent visit with complaints of burning with urination. She states, I think I have another urinary tract infection. Megan has been away at college and states she had the same symptoms early last fall and then again beginning this past winter. She was evaluated and treated by the college health service in the fall and then by a walk-in clinic last winter. She has no drug allergies and is quite inconvenienced that this keeps happening. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today is Jill Terrian, Associate Professor and Director of the Nurse Practitioner Programs at the University of Massachusetts Medical School's Graduate School of Nursing. Hi, Jill. Hi, Frank. Wow, poor Megan. Recurrent urinary tract infections are pretty pretty common these days. Um, Do you see a lot of them in your practice? Well, yes, I do. I actually happen to be a college health provider, so it is one of our top reasons for visits. Okay, so... Let's dive into um, this topic of recurrent urinary tract infections by uh, maybe defining, Jill, for us what are considered recurrent infections and what are complicated urinary tract infections. Sure. So in this case, we're talking about recurrent, uncomplicated urinary tract infections. And the definition used in this guideline is two urinary tract infections in the previous six months or three within a calendar year is what we're talking about. And as far as when we talk about uncomplicated compared to um, the more complicated, we would be talking about this does not include pregnant women, people that are immunosuppressed, uh, people that have an anatomical structural defect where they're either having an indwelling catheter or they're self-catheterizing for some reason Mm -hmm. or a neurological reason. All right, so... Um, there's a new guideline on management of recurrent, ur- recurrent urinary tract infections in women. Can you talk a little bit about how common this is? Over the course of a lifetime, about 60% of women will have a urinary tract infection. So that's pretty high. It's, you know, over half of the population of women. Of those 60%, about half of them will go on to have recurrent uncomplicated urinary tract infections. And then if we have that again, we talk about a population that has multiple urinary tract infections over their lifetime. So it's, it's a pretty common happening, and it's pretty bothersome to people's quality of life. All right. Well, this guideline brings us 16 recommendations, some of which I find quite provocative. Um, Jill, which, which ones do you find most interesting that might or might not change your practice? So before we talk about this particular, these recommendations and this guideline, I think, Frank, and I'd like to know your opinion on a guideline is a guideline, right? It's, you know, you have to tailor it to your patient that's in front of you, but it it can guide your practice. So I want to just kind of say that overall, it's a guideline. So I think it deserves critical review and then a careful eye of of what you do in your practice. And I think it it requires you to use that guidance 
when you deal with the patient, but you have to personalize it for each individual, without a doubt, and the circumstance, time of the week, et cetera. Absolutely. So I think the first, you know, part of this guideline discusses, um, you know, what to do when the patient is in front of you, when you initially see them with the symptoms. And I totally agree with the patient history. You have to know, you know, what's going on and what led them to you. But it talks about actually doing a pelvic exam, and that's that's really not anything I would do in an uncomplicated urinary tract infection of a of a of a Megan presenting to me with the symptoms of burning and you know dysuria and and things like that. A pelvic exam, probably if somebody has a vaginal discharge, that is concerning to me. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. They gave this recommendation to perform a pelvic exam on women with recurrent urinary tract infections, the designation as a clinical principle. And I don't think I saw any data that supported this recommendation. So I think you're right. If you have a, an adequate history and you don't have a history of a anatomical uh, abnormality or a vaginal discharge, performing a pelvic exam seems to be... Uh, unnecessary. So I totally agree with you there. Um, what's next? What else do you like and what do you not like? Well, what I like is that uh, with anybody with even an uncomplicated urinary tract infection that I'm that has the symptoms, I'm going to do a urine culture. I'm going to do a urine culture in the office and um, that part I like. I have to know what we're dealing with because, you know, Antibiotics, as we know, are overprescribed. That's not new news. So, you know, we are the stewards of that. So, you know, that was one of the outcomes of this actual guideline was to talk about the over overprescribing of antibiotics and the stewardship that needs to occur and the different principles you should use to um, make those decisions. Well, I, 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 uh, I agree with you that certainly for recurrent urinary tract infections, someone has, uh, has, has a repeat in six months or, or, or three in a year, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think you have to get a culture unless they're ill um, before you go ahead and prescribe. For uncomplicated urinary tract infections, I still feel uh, if the patient's an adult, below the age of 50, uh, who has no complicating features, I'm okay with an empiric trial of an antibiotic, three days of an oral antibiotic, um, but that's just for the uncomplicated one. And I know there's some different schools of thought on that. So, okay, um, getting cultures are really important with recurrent urinary tract infections. Um, other things that you like and don't like? So I do believe that early on, even in my education, we used to talk about test of cure. And so it used to be that, and, and the other thing is, is that you used to put anti people on antibiotics for a seven or 10 day co course for a urinary tract infection. We have really uh, dialed that back um, based on evidence. So, you know, agree, we do not need to have a test of cure after we have treated the patient and their symptoms have completed. So that's the education piece, right? right. Along with the prescribing of the antibiotic is talking with the patient about, you know, this should be going away. You shouldn't have this painful urination. You definitely should not have blood in your urine. Um, and so I agree with that part of it. Which antibiotics do they recommend and for how long? So for recurrent UTI, it actually is the same for uncomplicated UTI, even a first occurrence, is um, nitrofurantoin, 100 milligrams BID for five days, or phosphomycin, three grams, which is a single dose. I understand that's pretty expensive and hard to get approved by insurance. Is that true? 
That is true. And, and what about trimethoprim sulfamethoxazole, double strength? Is that still an option? It is, and that's one twice a day for three days for, again, uncomplicated or recurrent uncomplicated UTI. The thing you have to remember is if you have treated your patient in the last three months with that drug, that you have to really look at it as a resistance problem and you will not be using that drug again. Again, you'd be checking your culture and you want to check your antibiogram. Very good. Thank you. Um, I, I always chuckle. They did talk a little bit about cranberry prophylaxis. Any, any thoughts on the data on using cranberry or cranberry juice or cranberry pills? Yes, it's interesting. I mean, wouldn't it be great if you took some cranberry pills that it would just prevent or make things, you know, the urinary tract symptoms go away? There really is no clear evidence that it can prevent or, or treat or decrease the symptoms of um, the UTI. However, there are, you know, thoughts out there. You can find some data in the last, you know, five to seven years on Cochrane and in JAMA that do um, have some information on that. But it's really, and it looked at all forms. It looked at, and it kind of all together, like the juice, the pills, um, you know, the extracts, and there wasn't a clear finding that this is helpful. Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is one of those, those things we hoped were going to happen. On the other hand, the guideline does talk about using topical estrogen. What are your thoughts there? So, well, I think that if you're talking about your peri- and postmenopausal women, it comes with the history and whatever exam you're doing. Is this vaginal dryness? Is this you know, something that is mixing these symptoms together. So certainly, you know, if, if it is the dysuria, you want to be getting your, you know, your culture and looking at that, but it may warrant a vaginal exam to look at what the tissue looks like um, and if the, pa if the patient has been experiencing dryness. And then there's a whole discussion of, you know, vaginal estrogen um, and the patient's history, you know, and susceptibility to breast cancer. Yeah, I... I um I find it interesting because um, hematuria is one of those things I worry about. So you have a patient who presents with recurrent UTI symptoms. You obtain a urinalysis that shows some red cells. If it's uh, perimenopausal or postmenopausal women, do you send them right off for the cystoscopy or do you try the topical estrogen? I suppose uh, a short course of topical estrogen, and if symptoms don't improve, then cystoscopy works. They did give the topical estrogen uh, a pretty good evidence grade, which was which was interesting because they didn't give much a very good evidence grade in this, this, this guideline. Well, we have Megan in the office. What are we going to do for her today? So for Megan, we are going to collect a culture, and we are going to talk to her about, you know, calling her back with the results and the potential treatment. If she can, if she can remember and tell me about her history of how she was treated with the other two, Incidences, great. If she has any paperwork, I'd be happy to, you know, incorporate that into her medical record. Um, but I'm going to talk about, you know, taking enough fluids, um, you know, self-care as far as if she's active sexually, um, that, you know, you want to empty your bladder before and after um, intercourse. And, you know, try and do some shared decision-making with her to help her prevent this. This is like, if this does come out to be a urinary tract infection, she, this is a third in, in one year. So that's concerning. So we want to help her prevent that. The, the other thing, 
Frank, I think with especially the college health population of women, you know, they're menstruating. So you bring up a good point about hematuria. So what if it comes back and we have, we have blood in the urine? What are we going to do with that? This might be a person that we're going to test again after the urinary tract infection has cleared to see if there's something else going on. And I think we have to also keep in mind that checking the urine for chlamydia is not a bad idea. Well, I actually have in parentheses here, always think sexually transmitted infections and what, what is the possibility of that. And so thank you for bringing that up. That is part of our heavy part of our education in college health. Well, thank you, Jill. This has been a fantastic quick overview of this new guideline for the recurrent urinary tract infection in women. Thank you, Frank. Practice pointer. Recurrent urinary tract infections in women are a challenging problem. Critical is obtaining urine cultures and treating based upon local antibiotic-resistant trends. Join us next time when we talk about measles and the measles vaccine, the risks of not getting vaccinated, and the need to be patient-centered in our discussions with patients. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primed.com slash podcast and see you next week.